don't think everybody needs to have a hundred friends. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I have learned in friendship is when I try to pin all of my relational needs on one or two friends, I'm disappointed. Mm -hmm. We talk about this in dating too. Like we can't mm -hmm. expect our partner to fulfill all the things that Jesus is supposed to fill. But I've done that with my friends of putting those expectations because of my own lacking of needs. And so having a multifaceted group of friends uh -huh. has been essential. Hey everyone, welcome to The Walk Podcast. This is a place where we answer honest questions, talk about hard issues, and walk alongside one another as we explore how spirituality fits into real life. I'm Gil, I'm your host, and today we're talking to Sarah Willie about friendship. Sarah Willie is the lead discipleship pastor at Mountain with nearly a decade of ministry experience. With a heart for people and a strong faith, she's guided countless young adults and families along their faith journey and is just a powerhouse of encouragement to women in ministry. She's got a zest for life, and when she's not serving in the church, you can find her traveling, coaching volleyball, and investing in her friendships. All of us in some way are asking the question, how do I find and sustain lasting friendships? If you're asking that question or you're wanting to strengthen your existing friendships, Sarah has some really good practical advice for all of us as we learn what real friendship looks like. Let's jump into our conversation with Sarah. I am sitting across the table from the one and only Sarah Willie. Hey, Sarah, how hey, you doing? Hey, Gil, how you doing? I'm good. It's how good you feeling? I'm excited and nervous because this is a new thing to do podcast talking. So yeah. whenever I try a new thing, I'm nervous, but I'm excited about this. I'm honestly, to me here. too, a little bit. Yeah. This, <laughs> it's a new thing for all of us. Honestly, yeah. we're all listening to podcasts. It's fun. Okay, Sarah, to get started, mm -hmm. would you rather never eat spicy food again for the rest of your life? Or only eat spicy food for every meal for the rest of your life? Easy, only. I love spicy every food. Every meal? Every single meal. I like adding hot sauce to my scrambled eggs. I love proper Mexican food that yeah. has like the right spices in it. And I like having hot Indian food. So yeah, <laughs> I like spicy. Every single meal though? Yeah. Is that like... Is it, are you going to ask if that's healthy? Yeah, is it? <laughs> I think People so. People in other countries do it, Your I body guess. adapts to it. Yeah. So I think I, yeah. What's your go-to like spicy meal? Like last meal ever <sighs> has to be spicy. Gosh, people from countries that eat spicy food on the regular might laugh at me for this because they're going to think it's not actually spicy. But I would say tacos al pastor. Al pastor. Like it has, a, it has some spice to it. It's I not guess. like flaming hot, but. Yeah. It, it makes my eyes water sometime if I hadn't had it in a while. Add some hot sauce. Cool. Yeah. I agree. I think we're kindred spirits in that way. Good. Spicy food pro. This is a pro spicy food podcast. Holla. Cool. Well, hey, we're talking today about friendships. What does it mean to make friends, be a good friend? What's even like, what's God's vision of, of mm -hmm. friendship? We've been talking a bit about relationships. So I'm excited to have you here, Sarah, to kind of lead us through that conversation. Will you share a little bit of your journey? Think back to just like your years in your 20s, making mm -hmm. friends and navigating all of that. What was that like for you? What was your journey of, of making friends and all of that in your 20s? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
I think about this. So I, I know not everybody has kind of the life story of graduating high school and then going on to college, but I did go on to college. I went to a four-year undergraduate university outside New York City, and it was 6,000 students, and then I was a student athlete. So there was this thing in my early young adult years of like, here's your pocket of friends when you're part of an athlete community at a university. It's mm-hmm. You can be friends with people that aren't athletes, but you're kind of walk right into a community that's yours. So felt very comfortable throughout that. Then went to grad school to Clemson. Probably go the Tigers. F- go Tigers. Yes. I, I need to know who all my Clemson fans are <laughs> listening to this. But that was probably my first season of struggling through friendship because I w- walked in expecting a graduate program very similar to what I had in undergrad of a bunch of people in the same phase of life going mm-hmm. through the same things. And unbeknownst to me, when I got there, it was a career changer program. And I was the youngest person by 10 years yeah. in my program, uh, apart from one other per- girl that was my age. I had this full expectation of what community was going to look like. And I'm in class with 50 year olds and retirees that are wanting to do teaching. Yeah. That was kind of the beginning of stuff. And then when I moved back to Bel Air, and I was, I'm now a working professional. I started in teaching before I worked at the church. And it just felt like a whole wide world of friendship that just seemed so difficult to navigate. Because for the first time in my life, it was there, you don't have this pocket of friends that are mm-hmm. yours. Like, and even growing up in high school, it's like you, whether, whether high school was hard or easy for you, it's here's your pocket of people. Yeah. to build community with and you go to college it's given and it's to that. you yeah yeah and so and I remember some thoughts in my first year of working of where am I supposed to find friends like am I supposed to just go talk to people at the grocery store and yeah. just say hi I'm looking for friends and so grateful and like really grateful for the church because uh-huh. that was where a lot of my community came from that was like okay that's going to be my place where I choose community and then my heart even started aching for my friends that aren't connected to the church, mm-hmm. may or may not believe in God or Jesus, and just like was kind of stuck in that tension point. So so then throughout the 20s, it was just navigating, okay, where do I find my friends? And then now you have all these life transitions that happen yeah. too. So really tight with some friends. And for context, I'm not married. I'm 33 and not married. And so my friends would get married and mm-hmm. then those dynamics would change. Totally. They would move. Those dynamics would change. They would have babies. Those dynamics would change. And so friendship was really, it was this tumultuous thing throughout my 20s and trying to navigate the landscape of that. Yeah. I think, yeah, you mentioned life transition. That's got to be, right, one of the biggest just barriers to lasting friendship. It's the same for me, my story. Like Anyone who's ever graduated high school or college or moved to a new city has experienced that sort of thing. You do that a couple of times throughout your 20s, and it's like you feel like you're restarting over and over again. So I think a lot of people probably identify with that part of your story and my story as well. We seem to be living in a time where it seems like, at least, it's just a little bit harder to form really strong friendships. Do you, have you thought any bit about that? Yeah, gosh. There's so, there's so many different things that I've reflected on just in my own journey of like, why has this been so hard? Um, I think throughout my 20s, I, I'm trying to establish myself and so much of my 20s, and I think everybody's 20s is figuring out who I am, what do I believe, what do I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So some of that is shedding off layers of things that I don't want to be. And then there, you have the friendships that are kind of connected to that or relationships sure. connected to the things you're trying to shed and trying to put on some new things and navigating those. So, there, so there's that dynamic of mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out who I am and who I want to be and who I want to surround myself with. 
Then there's this other side of vulnerability is probably the big piece that I've wrestled with. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about the screen dynamic and even television, like there's this weird phase where I realized like, oh, I'm getting social connection from watching TV shows. Totally, and like, yeah. that's so not healthy. When I realized that, I'm like, gosh, I need to lean mm -hmm. into my friendships because yeah. that's not healthy. So thinking of that and then from college, from in my particular context, one of the things I leaned into that wasn't helping me make friends locally was my friends, most of them don't live in this country anymore. And so mm -hmm. these people that I had this tight college experience with for four years mm -hmm. are not accessible to me. And so I was leaning into texting and FaceTiming them and all of those different things and not focusing on the community that was right mm -hmm. here in my backyard and forming those friendships too, mm -hmm. because it was scary. It was hard. Are they going to see me? Are they going to accept me? Uh, they don't know what my life was like. Yeah. All, all of those questions and barriers. And it was just easier at times to just focus on the career and focus on staying at home where I'm comfortable yeah. as opposed to going out in the world. Gosh, yeah. Especially when you have friends. The college thing is unique, too, because you have friends in different places and different cities mm -hmm. where it's just you're not doing life together anymore. Right. It just makes it. A lot harder. I remember my friend Jackson and I were talking last year. He basically said the same thing. He was like, when we graduated college, he was like, for four years, I had my best friends like a door away from me. And now we're just like spread out across the country. It's the weirdest thing ever because mm -hmm. those are your people. You build a bond with them yeah. um, in a special way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was just saying to a friend this weekend too, like, at what point did we just stop texting each other saying, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to Target. Do you want to come? Yeah. Or, or just what are you doing tonight? Or I'm going to pop on over. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, the obvious answer in some ways is proximity and responsibilities mm -hmm. and just the way, like even you're, as you're, I hate to say this, as you get older, your energy level is just different than sure. what it was when you were a teenager. But but even just kind of, I think I'm even just trying to grasp some of those things of what are those natural invitations of connection that mm -hmm. I've just stopped doing yeah. and that other people have stopped doing at the same time. And how can I remedy that? As, yeah. That's the question I'm sitting with right now at 33. Sure. As I'm still I have great friends, but it's also I'm still navigating with some of this loneliness and yeah. grabbing for connection because in college it was that thing of I could just hop over to even like with my roommate, like. Mm -hmm hopping over to my friend's room, be like, what are you doing? Hang yeah. out with me. And we don't do that anymore for some, for some good reasons. And then also I think for mm -hmm. some vulner, like the vulnerability thing of what if I ask them to hang out and mm -hmm. they say, oh, I'm too busy. Mm -hmm. And then dealing with the emotions that come with that rejection, lack of initiative yeah. and laziness on my part, yeah. expectations and uh, vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you will reach a point, right, in your 20s or 30s or whatever where, like, those natural connection points are not there anymore. Like, there's something you probably have to fight for when it comes to building friendships. So if you don't know this about Sarah, she has, like, worn many different hats around Mountain. She's kind of done it all, multi-gifted in many ways. But you've also helped lead young adults and college-age kids. I'm interested to know, like, what did you learn just from helping specifically young people walk through this as a guide through that season of life? What are the stuff that you kind of picked up? Yeah, I always would say these are your trial by fire years too. Mm -hmm. Like everything's going Amen. to be so hard and the highs are going to be super high and the lows are going to be super low. And so friendship is kind of woven into all of that. I think one of the things I've learned that's so precious about young adults is just that natural inclination towards connection, mm -hmm. that that's a strong thing of that phase of life mm -hmm. of 
I think in the midst of answering those questions, who am I? What am I? What are my values? There is this thing underneath of it where young people just kind of cling towards, okay, I just need to hold on to something. Mm -hmm. And hopefully through the context of young adult ministry, it is, I'm clinging on to people and Christian community. And as a result of that, you also see, okay, Jesus is the center of -hmm. all of that too. So I need to cling to Jesus desperately in the midst of all the ups and downs, but also the community that surrounds Jesus as well. So I think that was one of the things that rose to the surface is I think the inroad for a lot of young people is where am I going to find my people, Mm -hmm. which is a good and a fine question to be asking. And I think a question all of us, regardless of how old of how old we are, need to be asking that question mm-hmm. of who are my people. So I think that probably rises to the surface. And even as we get older and we want to know things and learn things, mm-hmm. maybe we lose that a little bit. And maybe we shouldn't lose that sure. and learn that from our young people too. If we need to always be clinging to community, we say around here at Mountain, hold on and reach out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We say that when we talk about the mountain walk, we love God, love people, serve the world and love people. You hold on to others for dear life because mm-hmm. life is hard. And then you reach out because other people need this type of yeah. community too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, so for someone who is navigating just their own <clears throat> relational world, their friendships and trying to figure all of that stuff out right now, what makes a good friend? What do you look for in a friend? Mm, that's a good question. And then probably the only way I know how to answer that is by looking at, I'm looking at my friends right now. The first thing that's coming to mind right now is I'm thinking about my friend Hillary right now is I think because of my own vulnerability issues within friendships, she's been a friend that's been really good at clinging to me. And I think sometimes clinging is not a great word and we won't go down that rabbit hole of why that word has kind of some negative connotation to it. But I think like in my own journey, I... I've been burned by friends so many times, so my I've learned as a defense mechanism to withdraw before I get hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I sense, okay, a dynamic is shifting here, or maybe they're not going to have time for me anymore, mm-hmm. or whatever the reason is. And so I pull back first. And so having a friend that sees me and loves me and knows me and continues to cling to me mm-hmm. in those seasons where I'm withdrawing has just been the ultimate gift. Friends that honor boundaries, probably alongside of that too, has been been really helpful. A friend that knows your life and pays attention and studies you and asks questions so that they can figure out how to be alongside of you well in life, I think is a great thing. Kindness, compassion, laughter. I think laughter, gosh, laughter, I think just is so essential to friendship. Like I have great friends that I can sit and talk deep with, which I think is super valuable as well. But I think it's the laughter that's gotten me through the the harder seasons mm-hmm. more. And when I've been, been in tough seasons, I haven't gravitated towards the friends I can be deep with as much, if that sounds strange. Yeah, well, but it, it's the ones that help me laugh through the hard seasons. And I think we need both. I don't want to I don't want to make this like an either or. But I know when I've been in hard seasons, when I, when I have the friends I can go deep with, like when we finally sit down across the table. And they say, how are things going? Sometimes the last thing I want to do is articulate it because I'm already living in that reality. I want I, I want friends that can say, hey, I know you're going through a hard thing. Let's go do this fun thing and lighten the load a little bit. And that, that's been an interesting thing to reflect on, too, is yeah. I need both of those. Um, do you find that that's often the same person? Like the people you go deepest with are the people you can laugh the most with or not really? Not always. Yeah. Which is very interesting. I think that's the other thing I've learned about in friendship is 
having I like I don't I don't think everybody needs to have a hundred friends. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I have learned in friendship is when I try to pin all of my relational needs on one or two friends, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. We talk about this in dating too. Like we can't mm-hmm. expect our partner to fulfill all the things that Jesus is supposed to fill. But I've done that with my friends of putting those expectations because of my own lacking of needs. And so having a multifaceted group of friends Uh has been essential for whatever I need in different seasons in that so I can lean into all those. I'm thinking about the people that (laughs) bring joy and make me laugh in those ways when I need it. And I don't even think they realize the depths of how much my soul is craving that laughter. But then I have my other friends, like my friend Jessie is someone that sees me so well because she's actually she actually is from the town that in north right outside New York where my school was. Mm-hmm. And so the the dichotomy between New York City and Hartford County, Maryland is slightly a, different, maybe. Oh, my gosh. And I, str- <laughs> I struggle to live into it because I feel like those are two parts of my being and my reality that no one understands. And then when I met Jesse and she's like, I'm from Paramus and I'm like, oh, my goodness, somebody knows my life. And she feels the same way, too. So we have this depth in it. And we laugh, too, I guess. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, that's just been that's been a gift to even acknowledge it doesn't have to be the same person. Mm -hmm. I think where I've failed in friendships is sometimes um, and I mean, just in full confession, I think sometimes my shortcoming can be be seeing friends as disposable and I'm not doing Mm -hmm. it actively or intentionally. But just trying to cling for like, gosh, I need something mm-hmm. and I need relationships. And so the multifaceted nature thing has served me well. Now, as I'm growing up and maturing more, I want to try to make sure that people aren't feeling like, OK, well, I need laughter. So I'm just going to not use my deep friends right now. I want to yeah. try to just like clinging to the right people in all seasons so people don't feel disposable yeah. by me. But. Yeah, that's good. Say more about like you mentioned one of the things that rises to the surface as you talk about your friends, like Hillary is a really good example because she knows you. Mm-hmm. Like talk about being known for a second and how important that is, vulnerability, whatever comes along with it. Because I feel the same way. Like the people who I would say are my closest and best friends are the people who can sense in me when I am withdrawing. Because I probably have a similar like avoidant attachment style people have called it or whatever you want to call it where like if you have good friends that actually know you they will know to cling to you or reach out in those moments being known huge part of just having friendships right yeah this is going to sound like so lame and cliche but like a huge part of that has been me needing to know myself and the way that God's made me and wired me and the way that this broken world has affected me in relationships too so even like the withdrawing thing I can't pinpoint at the exact point, but that comes from something in my childhood of how I've learned how to cope and develop. And um, so, I mean, that's a part of this fallen world. And I think so many of us actually are afraid to be vulnerable in relationships. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I've challenged myself to in the context of safe relationships, and Hillary's one of those, it's taken years even to just like kind of test the waters of like, I think this one's safe. Sure. And is I'm really good at false vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at making people think I'm being vulnerable mm-hmm. with you. It's the last 10% I don't share. And that's yep. normally the thing I need. So with that kind of like framework in mind, when I'm with my safe people, I'm not, I don't share the last 10% with everyone. But I have to actively make a choice. Am I going to be honest with Hillary with the last 10% or not? And 
And because I have that unfortunate gift of making people think I'm being vulnerable, it's really easy for me to not be called out on not being totally, authentic yeah. too. So it's uh, it's up to me to make that choice to do that. And Hillary and I do this practice now that we actually learned from Carrie Newhoff on one of his podcasts about nice. friendships where he and his friend will text each other every day really quickly of what's the best thing from yesterday? What was the worst thing from yesterday? And how can I pray? Or how can you pray for me? Yeah. And just and it doesn't even need to have like a full dialogue around it. It's just it's quick text. And sometimes we just like double tap and heart it. And then other times we might engage with each other a little bit more. And so Hillary and I listened to that podcast and we're like, we need that for our friendship. Yeah. And so we've been doing that for a few months now. And it just has been a game changer to know that someone is like walking through the ups and downs of life and just know what's going on and vice versa too. Like we've tracked through a season of struggling through different things and it stuff that we wouldn't have covered if we had dinner once a month. Right. It's the daily thing of like, oh yeah, you felt that way yesterday and you still feel that way again today. That has been transformative, I think, for our friendship just even the, in these last few months. And then the other side of it too is when I've struggled with peer relationships and being able to be vulnerable, I've had a lot of seasons of leaning into those that are older than me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I'm like this, but in seasons where I felt like my peers couldn't handle what I was going through, mm -hmm. like my pain, like my pain's too much or the struggle is too complicated mm -hmm. or whatever that thing is I convinced myself of, it's been the older people uh, that have felt safe to show like the complicated family dynamics it's like i don't know if my peers can understand but yeah this wise mentor in my life why do you think that is i think like the thing i convince myself of is they've walked through life longer right. so they've seen more messy things than my peers may have which i whether that's true or not i'm not gonna try to overanalyze that mm -hmm. but i think that's where i've gravitated towards that of someone that's in their 50s has seen more than my friends in their 20s. Yeah. and But what I'm going through is real and it's heavy and it's hard to articulate. Some mm -hmm. of it's like the hard, the pain is hard to articulate, but knowing an older, wiser person can listen and shoulder that. And probably like the older people probably have some maturity to be able to receive it well, where sure. like my 20 something friends might be like, oh, we're just going to try to fix you. And yeah. it's like, I just need someone to listen. Right. But that's been good and healthy. There's a lot that I think I could say about the importance of having multi-generational friendships. Um, but that's as it's gone through the hard things and being vulnerable and authentic, I've tried it on mm -hmm. first with those that were older than me. And when that went well, then I was yeah. like, maybe I can try this with my peers too. Yeah. And that's been the progression of vulnerability with my peers. In my mind, like, yeah, an intergenerational friendship, it's almost like some ways it's more accessible and easier to be vulnerable because you're already, you know, you're approaching someone who's a little further down the road, who's walked through it, and they're already nodding along as you're telling them whatever you're dealing with. Whereas mm -hmm. I feel like there's more risk in a peer relationship for whatever reason, like yeah. you're trying to project an image of yourself or whatever it is. So a lot of ways, those intergenerational intergener relationships can be a really safe place to to process all that stuff. Yeah, gosh, I, we went through a hard thing in our family dynamics that is just so incredibly complex and multi-layered and so many layers of pain in it a few years ago. And the way I was responding to it, it was something I thought I'd already kind of worked through. And then there was an event and an incident as it normally goes. And 
it sent me into this tailspin and I couldn't find language. But my first step was actually like a week and a half later going to an older per, older friend mm-hmm. first. And I think it was just to be, get try it on first and get it out in a safe a safe person. I tried it on with the older person first. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to say to my friend who's my peer of, hey, let me tell you what's going on. And I don't I don't know why that feels like the right thing, but it, it's been so life giving because if I didn't have those older friends and I keep using the word friend, friend intentionally, like I have friends that are in their 50s and their 60s. Mm-hmm. I just had lunch with my 90 year old friend last week That's and it was God. so much fun. I got 90 year old friends. Awesome. It's just been a gift to be able to have all of those different types of friends it makes all of my it makes my peer relationships stronger i think Mm -hmm. by having older friends um than if i didn't have that yeah a lot a lot we could probably say about that and let's do this how about getting real real practical okay for people navigating friendships let's say practical things i love what you mentioned about your and hillary's rhythm of kind of texting and checking in on one another practical things someone could do this week just to be a good friend to mm-hmm. someone else. Yeah, I think easy thing, practical, is look at your landscape of people that are in your sphere and even try to think outside of the box. It might not be the obvious people and reach out and say, hey, I see you and would love to grab a bite with you. Mm-hmm. Like something like grabbing food and having having meals across table is just so essential for connection. So Invite somebody to do that, but even I would challenge everyone, think about you. who has God put in your sphere for mm. you to uniquely see mm. that might not be seen. The things that person might be experiencing might just be such a gift to you, yeah. but they might not verbalize those things all the time unless you're sitting across the table. Right. So, Well, just the phrase, like, I see you, like the, the act of checking in and saying, hey, I'm thinking of you, I think mm-hmm. is a massive thing. I'm thinking about you. Let's, let's hang out. Mm-hmm. Huge. And then following Huge. through on it because and then actually gosh, going, yeah. how many times do we run into somebody at the store? We're like, oh my gosh, I haven't we seen you totally in so long. We should totally catch up. Yes, <laughs> let's get coffee sometime. And the fact when you don't put it in the calendar, that's exactly when you know, oh. yeah, this is never going to happen. <laughs> so I mean, that follow through side of things too. So that's one. Uh, the other thing I'd probably say this might not be this week because uh, it depends on what activities are available. But trying something new, especially if you're feeling lonely, I use this example all the time, like regardless of whether you are an athletic type or not, they have all these different types of like pickup kickball leagues or or whatever, like go just try something new because those the purpose of those things isn't because like everybody like super loves kickball, right? Like they're trying to connect in community and to meet some other people. And so there are things out there to be able to connect. And I think if we shift our mindset towards I'm going to try this social thing that the community offers, not because I really love the thing, but because it's an opportunity to be able to connect with people. I would yeah. highly recommend that. And you might even find out that you really love kickball. And you would have never found that out if you were just stuck in your mindset of like, I'm not a kickball person, so I, I'm not going to sign up for kickball or whatever whatever yeah. that activity might be. We got pickleball that's happening around here, too, if you're in proximity to our mountain campuses. So that part of it, I think, would be super valuable. And yeah, probably just, yeah, the texting thing, the reaching out and trying new community spaces and it's not going to feel comfortable to step into a new community space mm-hmm. by any means initially, mm-hmm. but it, it can be worth the risk or 
you might not make friends and you can just try a different one Mm -hmm. and that's fine. Yeah, that's good. Really good practical advice. I think I see you right. Checking in saying, I see you, let's hang out, show up the big piece. Uh, and try something new, I think is really solid advice. I might even take that this week and, and do something with that. That's Are really good. Are you going to sign up for kickball? Kickball? I think I kickball, even know we had, kickball, we kickball season's done, I think, now. Oh. But Yeah. But you should I did get it. invited to be in a young adult soccer league, indoor soccer league this week. So actually legitimately got, got invited yesterday. Kind of have been on the fence. And now this is like maybe a prophetic word from you, Sarah. I- I might have to say yes. You might have to just try it. Try something new. And I think even the thing with try something new too, I've had this conversation with a lot of young people of, well, what if I, like, what if I hate it? It's like, well, now you know you don't like it. And I think it's coming from this place of we are so lonely Mm -hmm. and we're desperate for a solution to our loneliness, right? And so I think when we are trying new things, the risk feels like it's so great and I'm not and I don't want to minimize the risk it is a risk to step into anything that's new but I think we make it so much bigger in our heads of like I'm putting myself out there and if it doesn't work immediately then it's totally failed so it's like well if it's not going to work immediately or if I don't think it's going to work I'm just not going to go yeah and I think like being able to just maybe even shift our perspective on trying new things or trying new relationships Uh To not be, it is a risk, but maybe it's like, okay, maybe now I've just learned that that's not an activity I'm interested in and that's fine. I think you got to go three or four times before you can make that conclusion too. Sure. Like it's going to be uncomfortable the first time. So it's not always going to be a good feeling, but maybe after the second or third or fourth time you might see, hmm, maybe that wasn't so bad. Or now you have clarity. It's not great. And it's the yeah. same thing with friends too, of you can hang out with somebody a few times and then realize, you know what? I just... I think they're a great person, but I'm just not jiving with them. And maybe, maybe I just, this isn't going to be a friend for me. And it's just, I think it's just taking that step back of like, I'm just trying new things, mm-hmm. trying new relationships. And the worst thing that can happen, maybe I'm overinflating that, but the worst thing that can happen is just finding out that's not for me. Yeah. And now I need to try something else. Yeah. Or try someone else. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The risk that comes with trying, that's, I mean, the thing that keeps us, back often right rejection mm-hmm. failure i mean failure if you try anything new like failure is like the thing that comes with it often but it's like like you just mentioned how are you how else are you going to know if that thing or that person is for you unless you you do that expectations another thing that just comes to my mind as you as you speak about that i think that's really really good you mentioned at the beginning when we first started just the ways the church has fed you and maybe even change the way you think about friendships and relationships. Not everyone is a part of a church community in that way. So it might be helpful even, Sarah, if you just unpack what that was like for you and what you mean by that a church vision of friendship within the church and what that means. Yeah. I think because of my own struggles and friendships, I've been forced to really sit and take a step back and evaluate that. I when I when I first moved back to this area, I got plugged in at the church and and so I'm 23, 24 at this time. And it didn't take long until friendships just were consistently failing me mm-hmm. and out of my peer group. And that was exclusively where I was looking for friends and having to take a step back of maybe there's something different that God's calling us to for community. 
I grew up at Mountain, and I think when you grow up in a church this size or maybe any other church, it's very natural to fall into that trap of, okay, well, I had kids ministry for me, and then I had middle school ministry, and then high school, and then now I have young adult ministry. And then when you move out of that, you're like, okay, well, what's the next thing that's for me? And I just, I've really struggled in it. And so what I think I've wrestled through is community. And I think I think the vision of the church and community is shortchanged when we limit it to, I'm looking for my people. And I think God's, I think it's a smaller vision than what God has for us for community. I think the vision that he has for community is so much bigger and so much fuller than we can even imagine when we are just simply looking for our people. And looking for our people is so valuable. I use the phrase trench buddies all the time. Like we need trench buddies. Like we need people that we are walking through life with and struggling through life with. In the trenches. In the trenches. But I think there's a whole wider community that I've had that God's given me through this church. And I've kind of like been able to see, okay, community, the vision for God's church, I think, is a multi-generational community, Mm. a multi-ethnic community. And I'll use the word multifaceted community. And so to even just unpack all of those, I think some of those are more obvious than others. And so like the multi-generational community thing, I cannot overstate how much a gift it has been to me and how full my life has felt relationally when I lean into different relationships. Mm -hmm. We'll We'll say very often of like, Everybody needs a Paul, Silas, and a Timothy. So you need someone pouring into you. You need mm-hmm. somebody that you're walking through life with, and you need somebody that you're pouring back de- sure. back into. And that has just been completely invaluable. But even to look at it, like, that sounds, like, very conceptual. But when I think about it, like, on a very practical level, I remember talking with a woman years ago who has, she had, like, six or eight kids or something, and the only people that she had connected with were other young moms. Mm-hmm. And then she was struggling in her marriage, and... Because she couldn't get a date night in there. And and what the conclusion she was coming to was, I don't have anybody that, I don't know anybody that can watch my kids because they have their own kids that they need to watch. And mm-hmm. if you add their kids to my kids, now you have like 12 kids running around the house. Right. And like you could feel this like anxiety and desperation rising up in her. And it like a light bulb went off at that point of like, man, but if she had friends that were empty nesters or friends that mm-hmm. didn't have kids or even some young adult or high school people, mm-hmm. now she has somebody to watch the kids. Now she can go on date night and now community has been made fuller mm-hmm. in a very practical sense yeah. that she can't get from people that are in the same seasons of life. Of uh, Same way, like I think when I, when I was in my 20s. So much of it is like the blind leading the blind, mm-hmm. right? Like, totally. That's <laughs> we, we don't know what to do with life, but if we're only hanging out with people that also don't know what to do with life, how on yeah. earth are we ever Gosh. supposed to figure out what to do? Yeah, we have, yeah, if you're in your 20s, whatever age you are, you have major blind spots in, in whatever, <laughs> whatever you're trying to figure out in life. There are parts of you that don't have it figured out yet. And if you are only friends with people in your circle of life, you're totally right. I think it's like, yeah. So we, we need to have people that are in different phases of life. And I, I mean, a shifting moment for me was just when I realized I should stop calling my 50 year old people, my mentors, yeah, but my friends. Yeah. And it actually started with one of my 50 year old friends starting to call me a friend and realizing, oh, I think, I think they think I'm a friend. Yeah. Whoa, so cool. I'm Are not just friends? like that young person. Yeah, it was like stepbrothers. I was just like, yeah, did we just become, become best friends? friends? 
And so I mean, gosh, like that was super valuable for me. And I've just seen the overwhelming and overflowing benefits that's come from me personally, but also from the community at large, from the people. Mm-hmm. We had this 83 year old that joined our young adult small group over the summer, Miss Carol. And it, the, the richness that you could see of the conversation, I mean, the, we had a bunch of 20 somethings that wanted to know about her life. And there's something when like an 83 year old says to says to you, you just need to trust God that God's always going to love you. God's loved me every all 83 years of my mm-hmm. life. And so God's going to love you through yours. That comes for, with so much more power when you're 83 yeah. than when you're 27 saying, yeah, just trust God. Like you, you haven't lived long enough yeah. for that. But 83, it's like, okay, there's some merit to that. That woman is at the end of her life and she's passed away in August now. Mm-hmm. But sh- she lived her life mm-hmm. not just believing that God is good, but experiencing God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And it transforms your perspective as, at 20 mm-hmm. when you see somebody that's 60 years your senior saying that. Uh, so that's the multi multi-generational side mm-hmm. of things. I think the multi-ethnic side of things, mm-hmm. there's... First off, I mean, I, I would love to just go down, like, we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. But God's church is designed in its fabric to be diverse yeah. of all the different languages and the cultures and all of what th- that means. And mm-hmm. and the natural human instinct, I think, is to cling to what's normal and to cling to what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so different can feel hard. Different requires work. Different requires using your words to communicate yeah. as well as using your ears to listen back. And But when we allow multicultural and multi-ethnic community mm-hmm. and multi-ethnic relationships to be a part of our reality, our vision of what God's church can actually begin to be fuller than, w- than if you're with people that just have a, the same worldview mm-hmm. as you. The reality is that we are called to a, not just adopt like a worldly worldview, but mm-hmm. a kingdom worldview. And that is impossible to do mm-hmm. without the variety of culture and language that God has devi- designed and developed in this world. And so if we are going to have any semblance of full community, enjoying community, we have to be leaning into people that are different than us to experience God's goodness and experience God's fullness and richness. Mm-hmm. And then the multifaceted nature is having people that bring different things to the table in relationships, mm. having that friend that uh, can give you wise counsel, having that friend that can make you laugh, having that friend that you can just share whatever with and know that you're going to be loved, having that friend that you can go rock climbing with and having that mm-hmm. friend that you can sit and talk about that book that you read. I believe that each of us as humans are very complex. And that's, I don't think we do this on purpose, but we put that unrealistic expectation on a person or two to be just as complex in the same ways as us. And that's just, I just think that's totally off base. Weight to carry too, probably as a friend. Yeah, it is. So, and I, and I've been most disappointed in my friendships when I put that on my friends of my friend that I like to talk about books or movies with, uh, but doesn't like to do athletic things. I get disappointed when they don't want to do that. And that's on me Sure, putting that on them rather than them not being the fulfillment of what I think they should be. And so instead of being disappointed, maybe I should just find friends that I want to go rock climbing with. Yeah. 
maybe that'll help solve that part. And guess what? It works when we yeah. find people that are bring these different things to the tables and we, then we get to allow them be the fullness of who God made them to be. And then now we get to experience the fullness of God's church too in the community. Yeah. I love that vision of the church as multi-generational, you mentioned as that first thing. One of the things I love about what we do with young adults too is it's exactly that. We have older mentors, our oldest folks are probably in their 60s hanging out with 18 year olds. And it's just like this hodgepodge of generations and millennials and Gen Xers hanging out and investing young adults, the coolest thing. Mountain at large is a place that I think embodies that multi-ethnic, the idea that God's church is just built this way. It's an expression of different cultures and ethnicities coming together in a vision of, of community that you mentioned and multifaceted. I think that's really good. If you could populate those three buckets in your friendships this week, I think that's a huge thing to begin investing in relationships. This is so, so good, Sarah. Thank you so much. Maybe last question. Do you have any, like, if you were to point someone to another resource outside of this podcast, a book or a different podcast or whatever, are there any other resources that come to your mind is like, hey, continue to do this or think about it? Gosh, this is going to sound so, so, so lame. <laughs> Go but for uh, it. but uh, the first thing I'm going to lean into is diving into scripture, yeah. especially, but looking at look, reading scripture and asking the Lord to answer the question of like, what does the community look like? Yeah. What you'll find, I think, very quickly, especially in the New Testament, is that they never talk about the the teenage ministry. They never right. talk. They yeah. never talk about the elderly ministry, yeah. or I mean, there's not even a young adults ministry young adults, yeah. in the Bible. So I think like that's the first thing is just let Scripture define for you mm-hmm. what community is. You'll also see the beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. So you get to see intimate relationships happen throughout Scripture, and you also get to def- let the Lord define what community looks like. I really loved reading. I'm I'm assuming you've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Austin Gohn's book on a restless age. We haven't. We haven't. You haven't. I'm no. the first one. You're the first one. We love Austin. It's an awesome book. What's it called? A restless. A restless age. age. That's right. Right. That's what yeah. It's I think called. so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All about walking through your 20s and making friendships. All this good stuff. And he's a really wise voice. I know you and I have kind of bonded over that book and his his work. So. Definitely. And it's reflections on an early church father, Augustine's book called Confessions. So if you even wanted to go the next step on that, too, of reading Augustine's Confessions. Turns out people have wrestled with this for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I think it's like a humanity problem. Imagine that. This isn't unique to (laughs) this time period in this place. But I think there's wisdom that we can learn on that. And... I've really like this isn't I know this is more on the dating one, but I really loved Ben Stewart's dating and relationships preaching series. Mm. I really wish I could remember what it was called off the top of my head. I'm sure we could link that into the podcast Mm -hmm. notes. It's about like dating and relationships and singleness. However, I think there's so many truths that came from that that also can be applied to relationships, too, and friendships. That's great. Well, thanks again, Sarah. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing a bit of your story and your wisdom for a lot of people who are, all of us are walking through this and trying to figure it out. To be honest, when we thought about like, who should we bring on for this podcast? We literally sat down and we're like, who can we bring on who is just known as someone who's a really good friend to other people? And Sarah, your name came up immediately. And so we're so grateful for you getting to sit here and walk us through it. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a gift. First podcast. There you go. Done. Box checked. (laughs) Check. We'll see you next time then.
Thank you so much. We are so grateful to Sarah for coming on and sharing with us. I love what Sarah shared about God's own vision for friendship and community. That God's vision for community is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and multi-faceted. I find that a really awesome vision for community. You can tell that Sarah is just someone who values her friendships and works hard to sustain them. As you're processing through all of this, we want you to know that this podcast is a resource of Mountain Christian Church in Maryland, and our door is always open as you explore what you believe. So feel free to reach out and connect anytime. The best way to do that is through the email and the show notes. You can check the show notes for links to resources you heard about today as well. Thank you all for being here. Until next time, take care and know that we are walking alongside you.